Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Happy spring, Husker fans. It feels like spring. 70-degree temperatures outside, and it feels like spring with football back in our lives again. Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm Evan Bland with Sam McEwen, Jimmy Watkins, joining you for sort of the the, the collision of, of sports going yeah. on at Nebraska right yep, now. We've got that's what it is. football ramping up. We have men's and women's basketball winding down, along with wrestling and assortment of other sports. We have baseball just picking up. Uh, lots of things going on. We're going to hit on a lot of it today. We're going to hit on some basketball. Nebraska men suddenly are world beaters. Break them up. Uh, baseball continues to struggle a little bit, but um, I don't know. How are you guys doing? First of all, welcome back to to another uh, edition of this thing. I'm I'm well. I welcome the warm weather and uh, some good vibes. Jimmy's some covering good, a winning team. Some good vibes. That's right. I feel like I've I feel like my my life has changed. At what Light, point so much did you lighter? Like, so much lighter. At what point did you sit up on Tuesday and go, oh, I might win this game? About maybe after the third CJ3, yeah. I realized, oh, they're just going to keep doing this. All right. <coughs> so we're going to keep shooting 56% for three halves. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. We can get into this. I don't know that it necessarily means anything except for everyone's happier now, but yeah. it's cool. Good for them. Well, the big picture doesn't mean much, but we can, we'll can. we we'll talk about that. In terms of, yeah, like I thought it was good to talk to a bunch of guys from about football for two hours. I thought that was enjoyable. I think all the coaches seemed pretty relaxed. Um, we've said this, I've said this before. There's really not a lot we can tell you about spring football if we don't watch it. So um, everything that we're getting is just what they're telling us, and it's not that I don't believe them. But, you know, you were in an interview on Monday where a guy said, literally, I cannot tell you who I'm praising because if I do that, it might piss off somebody else, mm-hmm. and we don't want people to go to the transfer portal. So the minute that you hear that, it's almost like you're like uh, – Hmm. Were all those comments about Sevion Morrison three weeks before the season last year really about him not transferring, or they actually that he was playing well? And so we're in that moment now where, like, if we can't see it in practice, we have to go on their word. And, you know, you've got some coaches kind of honestly saying, hey, listen, I'm going to have to modify how I talk about this stuff because I don't want guys to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a hell of a thing. So, you know, I think we're good. Uh, women's basketball starts their Big Ten tournament journey tonight against Illinois. They should win. Illinois is a weird matchup, but they should win the game. Illinois is a terrible team. Uh, and then the men's basketball team is what it is. And then Big Ten wrestling this weekend, which we probably won't talk a ton about. But to say this, um, Nebraska's going to host it. It'll be at PBA. It's probably going to be a full crowd. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. I'm going to yep. go. I'm looking forward to going uh, just as a sort of a spectator. Uh, probably the biggest wrestling star in the world is at this event. People don't always know this. I was talking to a photographer earlier. They didn't know. Gable Stevenson is an Olympic heavyweight champion. Yeah. He was an Olympic champion, and he's probably going to WWE, I don't know, next year, the year after, a couple years after that. 
Uh, he's wrestling in college for Minnesota. He's undefeated. He's going to win the Big Ten Championship. And this is one of the best, oh, I don't know, 100 athletes in the world. So, like, people don't know that. Uh, so he's he's worth the price of admission alone just to watch that guy. Uh, but it should be a lot of fun. Nebraska will finish, oh, fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. And they'll send their usual group of great wrestlers to the NCAAs and have their top ten finish. And yep. So this is, like, the best college wrestling tournament of the year. This is tougher than the NCAAs because the top five, the top three teams, and then three more top ten teams are in this event. So if you win this event, the chances of you winning the following event are really high. You'll just have to wrestle the same guys that you wrestled here. It's, so it's going to be cool. It's strange to me that, I mean, I know WWE is considered quote-unquote pro wrestling, but it's strange to me that the best like technical wrestler in the world, like that's the next step for that person. Well, it's a lot of money. That's well, yes, that's where the money. I, it's not that. It's not that I don't understand why. Yeah. It's just it's a disconnect. Well, Brock Lesnar did it. So right. Brock Lesnar was sort of the, you know, the the forerunner of that event, uh, of doing that, and then uh, and so I think Stevenson might do it. And then I don't know if he could be a, you know, that the other thing they can do is be an MMA, and you want to talk about a hard sport yeah. for anybody over two hundred and eighty five pounds now. Maybe when it started, it was kind of like a some scene out of the first X Men movie oh, where it's just a bunch of guys West. in a cage. Yeah. But <laughs> MMA is so advanced now that unless you're really good at that, like you have to you have to check check and check yourself and ask yourself. We can talk about MMA another day. That's fascinating stuff. I don't think he's going to MMA. I think he's doing the WWE mm. thing, and you have to be an incredible athlete to do that. Are you gonna have a beer? That's the first. This will be a this the first be the event. Beer that's, that's the big weekend for that. There's gonna be some. There's gonna be some wrestling fans probably. Like you know how you take the three. I, I've never known anybody who could do four because the beers are often very big. Mm-hmm. So you take the three beers. I don't know. Are they doing draws or are they just doing cans this weekend? I don't really. Know. I don't know. I don't know. So if they're doing draws, it's kind of hard to take more than three at once because you can't really get that second one. And Especially if they it. fill to the brim. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to the three that might have the draws. Or if it's cans, you can take four. I've seen people even do five like with their hands. It's going to be interesting because I covered a lot of high school wrestling in Iowa before coming back over here. And, of course, you couldn't have beer at high school wrestling tournaments. But the hotels that I would stay in with wrestling communities that showed up, they would literally have garbage bags full of beer cans outside their door so like they were getting after it before and after it'll be interesting to see what that dynamic is like during the action i think it's better to do it this way i think if you i think if you're going to an event and i know this is going to sound weird and i'm not some big pro drink i'm not the guy as you both well know who has ever once in my life talked about a drinking and episode that i've ever had so i'm not like big drinking guy i actually think if you have the beer at the event it is safer and smarter than doing the before and the after. Because you you do not show up to the event already blitzed. You do your drinking at the event, and you moderate it because you're actually watching. And there's a financial component, yeah, too, like because it's like more eight expensive. Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and like, but you, we've all been to football games where the person who's there, they don't even know where they're at. Right. I mean, they're not going to remember in 10 hours because they, they, they hammered it out, you know, in the parking lot. And then they spend the entire game with just like a either bemused smile on their face <laughs> or like tilting their head up to the sky because they're lost. 
And I think when you have the beer in the stadium, it actually makes it less likely that a person's going to be like that. Because you just don't drink, you just can't drink enough during a, a sporting event to really get there. Now, I've heard the NFL is an exception, and I haven't been to enough NFL games yeah. and seen enough drunk people to know if that's an exception. But I also believe in the NFL. The NFL draws a clientele that does all the drinking out in the parking lot, yes. then does more in the stadium, and it's more of a um, gladiatorial, you know, um, you get in the upper reaches of stadiums and uh, done this. As, as someone times. who grew up in Cleveland, um, yeah. <laughs> with a, I would say, a more than modest tailgating scene outside of outside of Browns right. games. Yeah, you're you're spot on there. I think the the counter to that argument that I'll be curious to see if it plays out is I think there is a large section of people that probably wouldn't drink normally if it wasn't offered, but now that it is, they'll probably have a few. And so I'll be interested to see how that plays out because you know people will show up and say ah there's no beer but then they don't drink anything like they wouldn't have had anything beforehand and so I, I wonder if that adds to the dynamic on the other side of it too but we'll see should be fun um spring football this is i always kind of like these discussions when we have these sort of fire hose events where everybody talks right we had what five six seven players scott frost spoke all 10 assistants uh, I thought we could just talk a little bit about what we heard because we were all at different tables for a lot of that, a lot of different conversations and side conversations and things like that. What stood out to you guys? Because as Sam said, we're, we were not seeing practice. Uh, we know kind of what the storylines are. Were there some things that stood out to you as, as interesting or different kind of from what we knew going into this thing from Monday? Go. I think – there's a there's an element of monotony to to some of this stuff like the podium stuff where hey who do you think is standing out in your room Garrett Nelson like who's the linebackers yeah. that are working out right who's the or you know you ask defense players which running backs are running hard there's no pads what 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 are they basing that off of it is interesting to me though who was the first names to come out of their mouth Jacques Yant was someone that I think Nick Henrich uh, mentioned right right away when asked which running backs were looking good um, Nash Hutmaker. Is a guy that a couple of people talked about, sort of unprompted, like no Nash question, but Nash came up. Um, so those kind of guys are, when I hear those names first, I okay, those are people to monitor. As far as the coaches are concerned, I thought there was a little, there was more openness. There was like, there's a difference between interviewing Mickey Joseph about wide receivers and interviewing Matt Lubick about wide receivers. Mickey Joseph, I mean, he's more charismatic and um, I think can connect people with people a little bit better. But he also, he just straight up told told us that, hey, when Xavier Betts was here, when I first got here, Xavier Betts was an immature kid. And I don't think, I don't think Matt Lubick would have talked around that maybe, and he did at times last year, saying, well, inconsistent practice habits, blah, blah, blah. And Mickey Joseph will just tell you what's on his mind. Maybe that'll change as the season progresses and, you know, if things go sideways, but those things jumped out to me. Um, and then the, the, what I wrote about today, Bill Bush <laughs> is, just, is an interesting guy and has a lot of quirky like folksisms that he uses to talk about special teams. And I don't think that's just because he's a quirky folks guy. I think he understands that special teams more than the rest of the the study sessions or whatever classes that these guys have to be in actually feel like school like 
if you're if you're in an offensive meeting and you're in a defensive meeting, you you're you're feeling like you're building towards you know the NFL or you know it doesn't feel as much like like taking notes like you would in like a world history class, but when you're learning about like the L four spot, the left guard on the punt team, which I didn't know what L four was before this week. That just it just feels more like pulling teeth, and so I think Bill Bush understands that, and so he has come up with creative ways to keep guys engaged. He's mm-hmm. comparing special teams to a Garth Brooks concert, or he's putting film of LSU and Georgia's national championship teams and counting the NFL guys on the punt team. I think that's important. I think Nebraska as a whole is embracing special teams more this season. There's definitely a priority on it. It's the first thing they did after stretching on Monday. Um, all the assistant coaches are pushing guys to participate there, but I think it, it helps to have a coach like that who can generate outside-of-the-box ideas on, on why that stuff is important, hmm. can make people care. Back to the Joseph thing for a second. You know, I think some of it is <clears throat> you have to feel empowered to be able to talk about a player like that because you know them already and you love them and you're willing to have a coaching style that's very frank with them. Travis Fisher had that, obviously, with his players. And I think Matt Lubick, and this isn't to knock Lubick, I think Lubick ideally is a coordinator analyst type who's uh, one of the challenges I thought that they had at two different positions last year on offense with both Brian, with both Ryan Held and with Matt Lubick. I just didn't sense the connectivity there. And it isn't that these guys weren't bad guys. And, I mean, Ryan Held would tell great stories, analogies, Rocky Four, all this other stuff. But I feel like already... Um, you know, Applewhite and Joseph will just have a different kind of connection, an emotional connection, and be able to kind of get into some of their guys in ways that I think Held and Lubick struggled to do. Or I should say more Lubick than, than Held. My biggest takeaway is, you know, like, so some of what we have to do is we have to, like, catalog, well, what's this player doing and how's this and what's your room look like? And I, it's not that I don't like those questions, but the longer that I cover this, the less interested I am in these little granular details about things that I don't even get to see. Because once the, once the games are played, that's how we'll know how they're doing because we'll see it on the field. It'll be, like, the actual performance. And so, like, one of the things that I try to listen for and watch for is just how do people talk? the energy level with which they talk, um, the knowledge, the confidence that they have, um, how good they feel about what they're saying, all of those things. And so, you know, when you talk to Mark Whipple, Whipple's a very confident guy. Like, he feels very secure in what he's doing. Everything he says is, like, matter of fact. It is, and he's very process-oriented. So, like, I think sometimes when you're in that, when you've got that sort of offensive mind, you know, you look at things and you feel like, yeah, you know, this is what we're going to do and this is how it's going to look. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But this is how we're, you know, it's a very matter of fact approach. Uh, Mike Dawson, I think, feels pretty good about a lot of his positions. Um, but I think there's still question marks at the interior line spots. Um, I kind of was with Travis Fisher for a minute. I wanted to ask specifically about Deshaun Singleton, and not because it was a roster question, but I want to try to try to drill down into who's going to be the guy in that room now, who's like the 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 A plus person, like who's the A plus student, and it used to be Deontay Williams, and it sounds like Singleton could be that guy now. Like you have to have somebody in your room, and Nebraska used to have a couple of those guys. Markel Smuke was like that. 
Deontay Williams was a thing. I think Cam Taylor Britt was kind of inconsistent in that area for much of his career, which is why it was a little surprising to me that he was named a captain. But you know, like I think there was a, I think there's a kind of um, you're looking for somebody in that room who's kind of like a quarterback, and I think maybe Singleton is that. Uh, talk to Chenander for 10, 15 minutes. You know, I think they just have question marks at a whole bunch of positions, and we don't appreciate how hard it's going to be to replace Jojo Doman. So as I came out of there, and I said this during the video with Jimmy that we did afterward, I came out of Monday feeling like the offense, while it has many question marks, has a very excited and motivated coaching staff that's ready to get this thing going mm-hmm. and will probably have that offense fairly ready. And I think the defense has all of those things in terms of the staff, but I don't think they have 11 yet. You know, you, ideally you want 22. Nebraska's had about 15 to 16 last year. I don't know if they have 11. Like they, I don't think they feel great about 11 yet. I think you can think about that in your mind and you can think, well, uh, Ty Robinson, Casey Rogers, Garrett Nelson, Caleb Tanner, Nick Henrich, Luke Reimer. Uh, we, we feel good about them. Then Quentin Newsom. Then what do we feel good about in the secondary? Oh, by the way, Casey Rogers and Luke Reimer are hurt. Yeah. They're not even in camp, really. Like seven so guys maybe you feel good about it, right It now. just doesn't it, – it's, it's a question mark there of like I've always felt like um, with recruiting – you you got to recruit really well on the defensive side of the ball, and you have to recruit great athletes because defense is a reactive side of the ball. You can scheme it up. And Michael Severe, who used to work here, disagreed with me completely. Michael would always say, oh, you can come up with a scheme for defense. It's offense where you can have the playmakers. I'm like, nope, I don't agree with that. I'm like, I've watched Iowa do this shit for years now with their offense, but their defense has got dudes. And I, I've, I just always disagreed. I'm like, get your athletes and put them on defense because that's the reactive side of the ball. And I feel like I just don't know if they're good enough on that side of the ball. Mm. In terms of talent, the scheme is good and the coaches are together and all the rest. But, you know, do they have the guys that can make the plays that really count? And I just don't know. That's, that's a big question mark for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to Travis Fisher for a while and I, I feel like the secondary is sort of a microcosm of what you're talking about Sam where they've had some success there in the past there's major roster turnover and so to me the question is what is the value of that continuity and that institutional knowledge because as Travis Fisher said his first year or two at Nebraska he was chasing guys around town making sure they go to class and now the the you know, the culture, if you want to use that word, the standard is set. Like the guys there know what the expectations are. The older guys have gone through it. And so the younger guys sort of have this ramp up where they, where the older guys are are telling them what to do. And so while on offense, it's this totally new amalgamation of ideas and thoughts and brainstorming and putting it together, like the defense collectively has this identity. And so it'll be fascinating to see how valuable that is for some of these younger guys coming in, whether that's Noah Pola Gates, who, who takes on a more prominent role, Miles Farmer, who's started a little bit as well. I, I think that part's really fascinating is what is the value of continuity? Because we talk about it all the time with the transfer portal and people coming and going. Uh, you know, How much can Nebraska plug and play on offense with some of the additions they've made in the portal? And, and I think the defense is sort of the other end of that. How much can sort of building from within even after all this turnover turn into something different so I think that's a big interesting bigger picture thing 
Uh, I had Donovan Raiola duty again, the the new O-line coach, who I thought was much better this time around than he was the last time around. And to me, that was because he's just more acclimated to the situation. Um, he could name players that, you know, two months ago, yeah, he, he, was, was a he was a week in. He didn't know who guys were. And so he can name players. He, he can talk about their personalities. He has a better sense of maybe who can start fitting where. Uh, you know, center remains, I think, a big question mark, who they who they worked out there. Uh, on the first practice, Ethan Hickson and, and or I'm sorry, Ethan Piper and Trent Hickson. And they um, mentioned Turner Corcoran, which I thought was, I mean, he's not in camp, obviously, but they mentioned him as someone as a candidate there. I thought that was interesting. So so Rayola had this line of, you can't just plug a guard into center and go with it. Like, it takes a special person and a special communicator. And to me, the way that they talk about that suggests that they don't feel confident that they have that person yet. Maybe that person develops this spring. Maybe that person is a transfer eventually. But my 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 read was that they don't feel great about that spot just yet either. So I don't think they've recruited the spot well. I mean, just in general, I think Cam Jurgens was as athletically a great plug-in. I don't know that I would describe Jurgens as a big vocal leader. In fact, I'm pretty confident he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And prior to Jurgens, you know, I think Tanner Farmer was sort of a good communicator. The one year he was in that role, yeah, he did well. But then when you look back previously, it was Mark Pellini or it was Dylan Utter, or uh, you know, I think Pensick was pretty good. Cole Pensick many years back, but they have not recruited that position the way they once did. It used to be a premier position at Nebraska. It was a big deal, whether it was Remington or it was Jake Young or somebody else. Um, and I feel like they've got to get back to recruiting that that position very specifically. And I actually think Ethan Piper is is the communicator that they might be looking for. Whether he can do it physically, I don't know. But he's a good communicator, and Corcoran is too. I think both of them are above average communicators. I don't know about Hickson. Um, I, I, I guess we'll we'll find out, but. That 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 position's a huge question mark, and you know they're just going to have to do the best they can to coach it up right, and and then there's Donovan Rayola has a number of there's no other way to put this. He has a bunch of media people in his corner because of his brother, and because of like it's because that's what we do sometimes of like. Obviously, the other coach didn't know anything, and then the coach before that didn't know anything, and this guy, who's never done any of this before, is going to be the person who knows all this. And we, it's just not fair to him. It's not fair to heap expectations on him in his very first year as a position coach. They're going to have to coach around it a little bit, and they're going to have to help him as much as he can and do the best they can and hope that the passing scheme that they come up with protects that line a little bit and they're able to get some things going in the run game because it would be unfair to expect the least experienced offensive coach to somehow supersede all of the people they've had before. And again, I'm indicting myself in the media when I say this. We have a bad habit of pretending that Mike Cavanaugh and Greg Austin and Barney Cotton and John Garrison, they didn't know anything. And that's not not accurate. There's no other way to put that. The best line coach they've had over the last 15 years was was the combination of Cotton and Garris. Mari Cotton knew what he was doing. And we were too hard on him when he was here. And um, But this is what happens. You know, all oh, this guy's the greatest thing now because he didn't interview with us. 
People just have to be patient and thoughtful as it relates to that guy developing as a coach because it isn't all going to click in in year one. It's just not. And I don't think that the offensive story, offensive line storylines aren't necessarily going away either because for all the bright, shiny pieces that have been brought in through the transfer portal, I told Sam this as we were leaving on Monday, you show me what Nebraska looks like in the trenches next season, I'll tell you what the record's going to be. That's, I mean, that's the Big Ten, right? That's the, particularly the Big Ten West. It's can you run the ball? Can you stop running the ball? Can you get to the quarterback? Can you stop the other team from getting to the quarterback? It is sometimes, unless you have such spectacular talent on the outside or under center that you can overcome some of those things, maybe Nebraska has that. I don't think they do. Maybe. I don't know. It's kind of about who's going to win in the trenches and not make turnovers and you know crippling mistakes. What were your guys' impressions of the quarterback piece? Because Scott Frost said he didn't see who took the first snap. <laughs> so and, stupid. And then Whipple so did. Uh, Casey Thompson was not among the players who spoke. No, no quarterback was. I guess what, what was your impression of, of what you heard about the quarterbacks and how that position sort of was handled during that uh, media session? I appreciate Whipple just being honest about it. I think they're being too cute with it. Uh, that's just me. Like I, I think again, and that's what everybody wants to talk about. And you know, there's this kind of like um, honor code of like, don't act like anybody's got a job. Don't act like this guy came in here with however much nil money that he got. And let's 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 pretend, let's let's level the playing. Don't field. act like you're not, you're not gonna get a fifth year transfer without telling him that he's going to be the starter Uh, come on it's just you know these are hard things I think for lots of staffs to deal with I appreciated Whipple just saying that and again like I was the one who asked uh and I was like you know who took the first snap and he goes Casey and then he goes Thompson and I said okay (laughs) wasn't the other wasn't Casey I I said that's not surprising that's not surprising but you know why because okay and he's like, well, I mean, I think you can figure that out. And I'm like, okay, I'd, yes, I'd love to hear, you know, what your thoughts are on that. Because, again, like, I can't, I, I don't, as media, we shouldn't want to have to fill in the blanks. Just tell us. Mm-hmm. And then he did. And he was like, well, I mean, he was the best on air and seven on seven. I had them all send me the stats. Like, that's the kind of detail that the, the readers want. And, again, I think a lot of times what happens is, We'll talk to people off the record, and then we just backfill it for them. And no, sometimes you got to say the things on the record because we've been burned way too many times by this, like, look at this guy or look at this guy, and it's based on some two-minute conversation, and like, no, you got to say it or don't say it. Uh, so I appreciated that him said that, saying that. I, You know, to me it's, it, to me it's all a little bit uh, delicate and cute and... You know, I don't think Fred would do that, and Fred didn't do that with Bryce. He didn't pretend that Bryce wasn't going to play. But I think it's different in oh, yeah, basketball. There's... In basketball, they don't they, they don't beat around the bush on that stuff. They're like, yeah, this guy's going to do this. Everybody's great, you know. And so, like, it's more honest in basketball in the sense that like nobody's trying to pretend that Bryce McCallum wasn't going to come in and play all the time. You know, I think it's. I mean, you're, you're saying that they're handling it all cute and delicate. It's kind of a delicate situation, like what we were talking about. It is with with Tony Fisher and the defensive backs, like. Chubba Purdy again was Chubba Purdy didn't come here because he didn't think he had a chance to win the starting job. So they, I think they're trying to, they're trying to keep everyone happy right now, and 
that's a hard thing to do when there's only one spot open on the depth chart. So it's it's tricky. It's tricky. Like Casey Thompson, of course, is the favorite to be the starter, but I don't think I don't think it behooves Nebraska necessarily to scream that from the mountaintops, right? I think they it to to keep the illusion of competition alive, to cre- to keep right. everyone as motivated as possible. You have to keep that alive, and you know I, I I'm with you. I appreciate Whipple for just coming out and saying, "Yeah, Casey took the first snap," mm-hmm. but they I don't know that they are. I understand why they are doing it the way they're doing it, even if I think it's kind of silly. My intuition is to go the opposite direction, and if you feel like you need to tell Logan Smothers, "Hey, this guy's in front of you now. Go beat him out." That's what I would do instead of the. You're just as good as he is. No, I tell him, we want you to stay here, but you're going to have to beat him. What are you going to do to beat him out? How are you going to do it? How hard are you going to have to work? What do you need to prove on? Well, this, 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 and this. If you want to win the starting job here, you got to go do those things. You can do them. Don't be afraid of doing them. But that's what you have to go do. Or you can go play it to South Alabama. Do you think you're going to go to, you know, Georgia Tech from here? You're not. Like, that's that's what Mickey Joseph does. It's a good point. It's a good point. It's what he's doing. It's his aunt. He's like, look, you want to leave? Leave. Where do you think you're going to go? What do you think you're going to do? You can stay here. You can compete. This is how high performing, I think, this is how high performing athletes actually want to be talked to. What they, I think, high performing people don't want is to be patronized and to be told, oh, yeah, you're good. Just so you know, you, you know, you're going to be third on the depth chart, though. Like, just tell me where I stand. And if and if where I stand is in the outhouse, then tell me that. Cut me. And unfortunately, in college sports anymore, they can't. Re- and people will hear this and they'll think, what are you saying? They can't cut people anymore. They can't cut them. They can't just say, listen, you're not going to play. We're going to take away your scholarship. They can't do it. They can't do it because it's, it's you know, it's not fair to the athlete. It's not, and I get it. I get it. I get it. Oh my God, this, this kid came this far away to do this, this, and this, and you can't possibly take away a scholarship, and you can't do that, and you have to help him land someone. Not, no. With the transfer portal now, just cut him. If you're going to cut him, then cut him. You know, and I think there's, a, there's an honesty and integrity to that that I think players actually appreciate more than the song and the dance. And to be clear, I think Logan's mothers can play in Nebraska, but you might as well just be honest with him and say, this is what you're going to have to do. Because Logan Smothers is taller than Casey Thompson. He's faster than Casey Thompson. Those two things are true. I don't know if he can throw the ball as well, but he can learn how. Like, there's no reason for him to think that he can't play here. This isn't, you know, they didn't go out and get, I don't know, Tom Brady. So, compete. And that's what I, you know, I think that's the thing that that you'd like to hear. For whatever reason, Frost has always been just, you know, reluctant on that front. And I think as he has more success as a coach, I think he'll be less like that. I think being a former quarterback plays into that too. Yeah, it does. And I think he has a sensitivity to the way that he was treated here, mm-hmm. as rightly so. And yeah, he, absolutely. he didn't deserve to lose his job. He, But, like, there's just a kind of, you know, we want everybody to think that they're involved with it. And I just think it's a general ethos within – college athletics and again i'm not saying that it's necessarily bad but we're at a moment now where college kids leave at like the drop of a hat Mm -hmm. 
So we're we're almost at that moment where like we can drop the pretense of patronization and just call it what it is. You're not going to play or we're we're going to move on. Here's the portal. Like what's wrong with that? Because players are starting to do the exact same thing too. Like this team isn't good enough for me. I'm going to leave. Wendell Robinson had every snap he ever could have wanted at Nebraska. It wasn't good enough for him. He just left. And, you know, so maybe maybe that, maybe that in the balance of power we can get to a point where now that the athletes are paid, there doesn't need to be this sort of, um, you know, ceremonial feel-good thing that, that a lot of them have to go through. It would just be easier if they would, if everybody could just be honest about it. There's also, I mean, this exists in the NFL too. Like coaches will, you draft a quarterback number one overall, and your your other guy is like some dude who only played his last football game at Central Michigan. They're like, well, it's gonna be an open competition. It's just right. like some. There's like a. I know. This is across all sports. Just like some weird thinking that every depth chart spot, like mm-hmm. sharing any depth chart information, is is a disadvantage and you're giving someone a competitive leg up on you. Like remember last year when they weren't putting out a depth chart for the first couple weeks? Like it's just, it's, there's a lot of weird, weird stuff like that in sports. I, think, I feel like is. Nebraska football dances around a lot of things that it doesn't have to. And I, because I don't think they're that important. I just, if I thought a depth chart was that big of a deal, then I would say it. Like I just don't. Harbaugh does that stuff too. And I just don't know that it does a whole lot for you. I, I think it's just it's a quirk and you know I don't know that it has a lot to do with winning and losing games and all that other stuff. We've well, seen I, a lot of examples of it. I mean, yeah. there was the the Minnesota game where Adrian Martinez warmed up and then he didn't play. Oh yeah, I know. Uh, where they didn't put out a depth chart for half the yeah. year until things were really obvious. I mean, there, there's a lot of examples of of that, but it's like you have to be good at the basic things and the the good things before you can get into the minutia of mm-hmm. like <clears throat> you know the the, the the sportsmanship, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, of that side game. Like, you got to be good at the main thing before you can work on the side thing. That's fair. And we're not going to see probably, probably see practice this spring. I don't think it was on Which the schedule, given, too. given the way we overreacted to Logan Smothers last spring, I guess I'm not surprised because we went to spring practice and then everybody said he was never going to play because he couldn't throw the ball. Oh, he was in reworking a, his throwing motion. In a drill. Yeah, right. Like, everybody became, you know... Tom House or whatever the guy, the quarterback guy is, you know, like everybody became that. And then it was, well, Heinrich Harburg's going to be the, the number two. And then it was Logan Smothers is actually only 5'10". Just absurd conclusions from, you know, 35 minutes of practice. It was, you know, you can't just, the problem is you can't just go watch practice and go watch practice. You have to have 100 conclusions from mm-hmm. it. That's what's From tough. one practice, one yeah, segment that's, of that's one practice. Like, unless you get in the habit of watching 10 practices, then it's hard for you to know what really matters and what doesn't. If you only watch one, then you, you overemphasize whatever happened in that practice to too to great a degree. So. so if you're in Nebraska, you might as well just say you can't watch any. Or watch them all. To one. Yes, well, yeah, right, exactly. All. That's the way the NFL does it. That's the, that's the good stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I, to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to be over there for 25 hours, but... That's how you would know. That's how you would know who was, you know, really sure. doing well right, and who right, wasn't. Right. And then the coaches wouldn't have to sit there and dance around it. They could just say, "Well, you saw it." Right. And our questions would be tailored toward Well, that guy had 5 catches today. What what are you seeing out of him? Well, yeah, you know, like you wouldn't have to 
who played well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking of playing well, hey. Nebraska men's basketball, two-game win streak, top 25. So how what what was that streak that they ended, top 25 uh, opponents? 24 straight losses to top 25 opponents. Last win was March 14, 2019 against Maryland in the Big Ten tournament. So what, First ranked win under Hoiberg. Why did it happen, and is it sustainable? It happened because they shot the ever-living crap out of the ball. For I mean, Penn State, two halves, one half against Ohio State. Some struggles in the second half against Ohio State. Ohio State helped. Ohio State played some pretty dreadful defense. Like It's not like Fred wasn't having to come up with a lot of beautiful game stuff. It was, hey, Bryce McGowan, drive past that guy and dunk. Thumbs up. We all did it. Um, C.J. Wilcher, they lost him off screens. He's the best shooter on the team. He made three threes. Thumbs up. We all did it. That sort of stuff. Um, in theory, and here's here's the things. Here are the reasons why Nebraska. You still have to take advantage of those mistakes, right? Nebraska was more patient on offense. They moved the ball. They were more cognizant of where their teammates were at. They for stretches rebounded better in the second half against Ohio State, which helped them help jumpstart their offense. Didn't have to go against the set defense as often. Those things, the the approach, the effort and attention to detail on rebounding and, and getting stops on defense, in theory, should be replicable. But we have seen so little of it over the first 26, 27 games that I am hesitant, to put it lightly, to say that this is who they are now. This is who they've been for two games. This is what I think they thought they were going to be coming into this season. Those two games were supposed to be what they were looking like. How replicable is it for the rest of the season? Shrug. I would say probably not very because, again, I have this very large sample size over here that says they don't do all of these things, and I have this very small sample size over here where they did it great. And it's worth noting that they got off to a really good start in both of those games. This is a team that is notorious for, as Alonzo Verge said, taking a punch and not knowing what to do. And they had the benefit of being up, you know, if they, I don't know if they ever took a punch against Penn State, but if they were, they were already up 19 when it happened. When they, against Ohio State, they were already up 10, Ohio State started to come back, but they had time to reel from the punch, right? And then, you know, big, big picture going forward, I mean, I'd still think that a lot of these guys are going to leave next year, so... Guys like C.J. Wilcher and guys like Wilhelm Breidenbach who are around this stuff right now, if any of the if any of the fourth-year juniors, fifth-year seniors come back, Derek Walker, Latman, Trey McGowans, this can be informative. They can reference this experience when talking about how they need to play to the newer guys in the program. I just don't know how many of these guys are going to be around for it next year. It's a weird thing where they finally – for 40 or 80 minutes, they figured it out. This is what they need to do all the time. But it might be too late this year, and it might be too late to actually maximize what this group can be. So I don't I don't know. So we haven't talked about this on this podcast, but Fred Hoiberg is coming back next year. Nebraska announced that about a week ago. Is it a coincidence that they found their groove after that announcement? Or do you, do you read anything into that? Somewhat. I mean, I, maybe there's – I could – I would maybe attribute two percent of it to maybe less tension around the program. A little, everyone can play a little bit more free, knowing that 
the infrastructure, at least at the top, is going to stay the same. Um, but I mean, to the Fred extension point, yeah. or I guess just clemency point, I think it's a, I think it's a, a situation where tr- Tom Chattel wrote this, and I think it's a really good point. Nebraska wants to be a a school that get that is communicating to coaches whatever your vision is, you're going to have a chance to to run that through here. We're not going to fire Fred Hoiberg, a very by the way, a very very respected coach who people will pay attention if Fred Hoiberg gets fired in three years and two of those years you could argue he didn't have a real shot at it, right? People will take note of other coaches will will say and maybe even hesitate to to pursue a Nebraska job if, if that's what happens to Fred Hoiberg, who's a very nice guy and has a lot of connections. The other thing is, <laughs> it sounds simple, but buyout's hefty, man. $18 million for a football school? To make a basketball coach go away after three years, I don't know. That's that's a tough pill to swallow. I, I just and I, I the third part of it is, Trev Alberts believes in Trev Alberts, man. That guy is super confident. He thinks he said it on the radio. He thinks what he did for football is working. He said that football has positive momentum. They haven't won a game. Blah 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 blah. blah. They brought in a bunch of transfers. They got a they got a coaching staff that I think that. If you would have told us that Mickey Joseph and, and Mark Whipple were coming to Nebraska after last year, I think that would have surprised us in November. There's That's tangible stuff. So I think Trev believes in that plan. He's kind of applying the same thing to this, to the Nebraska basketball situation. We'll see what sort of changes he wants Fred to make to the program. To me, that's either changing your coaching staff or changing the way you play. I think one is more likely than the other. I think it would be more. I don't. I don't see Fred doing a whole. I think Fred's always going to be a guy that plays with pace and wants to sp- spread the floor and shoot a lot of threes. He might change the pieces that are doing those things, but I don't. I don't see that. I think there's going to be some sort of change. I don't know what it's going to be, but I think we're going to see a different infrastructure next year. If they beat Wisconsin and Minnesota loses to Northwestern, they finish 13th in the league. Mm-hmm. I actually think the latter of those two things is going to happen. Minnesota losing to Northwestern. Yeah, they're yeah. on the ropes a little bit. Yeah, they're on the ropes a lot. Yeah, actually. But Wisconsin needs that game to win so the Big Wisconsin's, Ten outright. Wisconsin's all well. We don't know that. So Wisconsin could win the Big Ten outright if That's Illinois true. loses yes. tonight, tomorrow. I don't know tonight. Yes. So it's possible that Wisconsin goes into that Sunday game not needing to do anything. And they may, not that they wouldn't play their guys, because that's not like playoff, it's not NFL football. Yes. <laughs> but what what struck me is that, again, and I don't want to go off on some tangent about Wisconsin. I think Nebraska can beat Wisconsin. Sure. I don't think Wisconsin's that good. They're great without being that good. Like, I don't know how else to put that. They're going to go into the NCAA tournament, and they're going to lose in the second round. They're going to lose. Even if they're a one or a two, they're going to lose because they're not that good. They're just great. Like they, I don't know how Wisconsin does this with their football <laughs> and men's basketball teams, but they manage to create this thing that, like, with the exception of the two teams that went to the Final Four for the men's basketball team, and that those teams were good. Yeah. They had Sam Decker and Kaminsky and whatever. <clears throat> the Wisconsin football and men's basketball teams go to play the best teams in the nation, and they lose. Like, Wisconsin football does not win the Rose Bowl, or hasn't, for 20 years. 
But within the context of the Big Ten, that team kicks everybody's butt year after year, despite the preseason prognostications. So here's my point. They're Big Ten ne- this year, by the way. Nebraska could beat Wisconsin on Sunday. I really believe that. Sure. It's possible. Now, if you told me Nebraska was playing, I don't know, Northwestern, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but Wisconsin? Is it possible that they could go and pull that off? Or Iowa? I don't think they can beat Iowa. I don't, I've told you that before. I don't think they can beat Iowa. Because Iowa's going to do what Nebraska does, only a little bit better than when Nebraska does it. But Wisconsin? I think they can beat Wisconsin. But what does that mean? Like what? How big of a deal would that be? If they, if they, even if they, okay, that's, here's what I'm saying. They're like, they beat Wisconsin. There, let's say there's they a win. kid, a transfer out there that sees that. Is that? Could be tangible. Proof, proof positive? Could be. Could be. I mean, it's. Is this helping them right now? I would, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily believe in this concept is this of. Is this part of, is it, would this help convince Bryce to come back? That kind I of thing? think, I think Bryce is gone. He's going to the yeah. NBA. I think he's gone. Willing to be drafted in the second round because screw it. I don't, don't want to play another get, year of I don't, college. I don't think he's going to get drafted in the second round. Okay. I think he's going to. As a scorer, he'll I don't be a think he'll be a lottery pick. pick okay. But I do think his draft stock will go up because when you get Bryce in a private setting where, you know, playing against chairs or, one, you know, one on one guys, like he's going to look really, really good because he's very skilled. So sure. I think he'll creep up draft boards a little bit. And he's probably creeping up draft boards right now a little bit. Well, he he's hit playing, playing pretty well. He hit threes against Ohio State, tell you that much. Didn't hit threes. Um, it's if, true. If he can't hit threes in the, in he's the got little, a, in the little the, combine events they do, it's true. how's he going to go in the first round? Well, I think he's going to hit three. He's got, a, he's got a smooth stroke. So, and he shot like is 40. He John Moran? He shot over 40% from three in high school. He so. is kind of like John Moran a little bit. He's not, not six three not like quite John that Moran. explosive. Not quite that explosive. But Joe wasn't but a great three point shooter. Sure. So I think of a couple of players in the NBA, De'Aaron Fox and John Morant, of two players that went to the NBA were not great three point shooters, but were the literally the most explosive players yeah. to the rim. Both have become better three point shooters since they got to the NBA. Bryce has. I don't know that he's as good as either one of those guys, oh, it's and they not were both lottery different picks. universes. Like John Moran is just in a different mm-hmm. echelon from everyone else. I think Bryce has a mature skill set offensively. Like his his footwork and the way he like his pivoting and his um, the way he attacks the basket. Not necessarily always blowing by guys, but the way he can step around guys. He's always under control. That mm-hmm. stuff is what makes him an appealing uh, case going forward. And the fact that you can, as an NBA team, said, "Oh yeah, we'll just put twenty pounds on that guy." Like. That you can just kind of guarantee that to a certain extent, um, but I just I've I said this during football season. And I I think I've been proven wrong because they they clearly the all the close games did mean something because that's how they were able to convince Casey Thompson that this was a place that that he should be. That's how they were able to bring Mickey Joseph in, who I think has that the probably the best chance of any of those assistant coaches to change the trajectory of the football program. Mark Whipple's the same way. He was thinking about retiring, and he thought this was a program close enough that, okay, I'll spend some time here. Yeah. We'll see. If they beat Wisconsin, maybe that can bring in an extra transfer. I don't. I just think that <clears throat> they're going to kind of be able to do grab what they need to grab anyways because of mm. the same reasons they've been able to. Fred's played. Assuming the guy that does all that is there. Well, I, I mean, Fred will always be able to pitch – this is NBA. an NBA. Right. NBA. Look at look at what I did with Delano Banton. Look what I did with Royce White. Look what I did with all these guys at Iowa State. Look what Royce White's running for office. <laughs> Royce White is running for office we in don't Minnesota. Need to talk about that. Woo! That's something. 
that's something. So I, I guess my, and we can talk about the Big Ten tournament next week. <clears throat> We're gonna have to do the podcast early next week to talk about the Big Ten tournament because I believe it starts on Wednesday. You'll be driving out. Yes. Um, but I guess my point here is, Jimmy, I, I don't know what they can do in the Big Ten tournament. I'd love to see a two-game run. I think if they draw <clears throat> Maryland in the first round, they're in trouble because Maryland's pretty good, and they're also going to be really motivated because they got a couple of old guys that don't want their careers to end. Mm-hmm. And if they win, if Maryland wins two or three games in that thing, they might go to the NIT. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think that would be a hard draw. Wisconsin might be a down a little. They just might be on a little, you know, downswing this weekend, and that could be the kind of win where people are like, "You see, you see, this thing's here. It's there." I just if some of these guys come back. It even could get if, better, you know. And people, kind of this That's might all. sound <clears throat> this might sound wild. Even if they beat Wisconsin and win two or three games in the Big Ten tournament. Then what? You like pitch, Bryce is, pitch, I think Bryce is it. still leaving. I still think That's a lot fine. of these guys are leaving. And what? You, like whatever, whatever well, momentum you built with that group, whatever momentum yeah. you built with that group, you yeah. can't pitch it to the next guys because they're not here anymore. Well, I, I, you know, you can pitch. Look what Bryce did. Look, look what it looked like at the end. I of still the year. I, okay. I'll say it this way. I still think the better selling point is look what I did with Delano Banton. Sure. Look what I did with Royce White. Right. Delano Banton's texting me his second day of Toronto Raptors practice saying, We did all this stuff, you know? Like Bryce McGowan's said when I asked him last week, he sees or two weeks ago, he sees when he's watching NBA games, he sees stuff that they're running all the time. Those are the selling points to transfer still to me. Not yeah. hey, we won five games in a row. Don't don't worry about what happened the first twenty five games. But we won yeah. five games in a row at the end of the season. Well we'll find out. I mean they've got to get a couple of transfers no matter what they yeah. do because a point guard. Uh yeah, someone I mean, needs to dribble the ball next year. Yeah. It's either him or Ramel Lloyd. He's I think he's more of an off guard. Yeah. And then, you know, they've got Denim Dawson. And they've got the other guy, and then Jamarcus they've got Lawrence. Keita. What's his name? Blaze Keita. Lawrence. Jamarcus Lawrence, who yeah, cracked like the know. top one hundred and fifty. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of buzz going right now. Him, I don't Good know. shooter. I, I've Good watched shooter. Uh, Dawson and Lloyd. The thing, and you're going to have a story on Blaze soon. Yes, that's going to be, be interesting. That'll be fun. Blaze is the guy that he's kind of what what Trev was saying on the radio about. This is what we need to win: Big Ten defense, rebounding, toughness. Well, Blaze is the guy who's supposed to. He's he's the guy that checks those boxes. In a recent, so you're writing the story on Blaze. There's a quote in there about one of the stories you're writing is they can't rebound. <laughs> yes, they're Blaise, bad at rebound. Blaze Keita, oh, Blaze Keita in his in his Malian accent. He's just he's a really good kid, really fun kid to get to know. He said, "I asked him, do you watch a lot of Nebraska?" He was, "Yeah, when I can." I said, well, what do you think? He goes, well, they're, they're good. They're pretty close. But the rebounding is bad. Yeah. <laughs> they need rebounding. Yeah, they do. This is very true. It's an astute observation. It'll, it'll just be interesting if they win a couple more, how that affects the offseason vibe around the program. Because they've still lost, what, 24 games already? They're going to lose 25 at some point. Like, that is what it is. It's almost, in a weird way, it's almost inconvenient that they're winning now because, like, the, the facts that have been established now sort of get muddled. Well, I think also I mean, they were looking for – they were preparing and probably still are preparing for kind of a total reset. <laughs> it's a little muddier. Like what if – what if – I'm not – I don't know anything about this stuff, but what if you were planning on saying, Lapman, thank you for your service. We'll see you later. Or you were anticipating that Lat was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Now Lat wants to come back. And you're, you you thought you had a, a guy you were eyeing in the transfer portal that you were going to use that scholarship for. What do you do? I don't know. Mm. 
part of the deal. Uh, you want to talk women's hoops at all? Briefly, saying? they yeah. play uh, Illinois tonight. Um, okay, so the women's program is probably in the NCAA tournament. Amy Williams was able to say that yesterday, and Amy Williams is one of the more cautious people that you'll ever talk to. On Tuesday, she said, we feel like we're in the NCAA tournament and we're going to act like that. Where Whereabouts in a seating range? Yeah. So right now they're projected. There's very few bracketology protections out there. ESPN has one, and it's pretty frequent. There are seven um, going to Austin or Waco or something like that. Iowa State could also be a two, so they could go there. Uh, there are seven right now. Their NET is in the, is in the low 20s which if you're just going straight on NET would put you in at about a six, right? Because the NET, you know, if you were at 20, you'd be a five and so on and so forth. So six, seven range for their NET right now. If they won the Big Ten tournament, and I'm not saying they're going to do that, but if they did, I think they might be a four. And if they were a four, they would host. They would, they would host a pot. They've got to get to four. They have put in a bid for it. So... They basically need to win the Big Ten tournament. If they do that, they would then be 26-7, and seven, and I think they would get it because at that point they would have, right now they have two quad five, quad one wins. If they won the Big Ten tournament, they would have five, and their record in quad one and quad two would be really good. It would be like 12-6, and six. so they would get it. I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten tournament. Um, they play Illinois tonight. I think they'll win tonight. Illinois is a weird matchup. They should win. But, you know, sometimes Nebraska goes to the Big Ten tournament under Amy, and they don't shoot very well. What if they don't? What's the, the back end of the seeding possibility? Like Probably not much if they lose tonight. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know that they would go down much, maybe eight or nine. Because you've talked about avoiding that eight nines line mm-hmm. to Preferably avoid those number one seeds. You would rather be, and this sounds goofy, you'd rather be an 11 than mm-hmm. an eight. Yeah. Um, because you don't want to have to face uh, a number one seed. Usually those teams are just total wreckers, and they just – crush teams there's a couple twos this year that is tough UConn now has Paige Buchers back and I don't think UConn will get to a one line so you don't want to be opposite them uh so we'll see like I think there's a chance for Nebraska to get up to a four or five but it would require them winning two or three games in the Big Ten tournament to win the Big Ten tournament would get them to a four that would mean beating Michigan Iowa and what other team came from the other side which I would anticipate being Maryland if you were to ask me to pick a favorite to win the Big Ten tournament, it is always Maryland. The team that would most, second most likely to win the Big Ten tournament would be Iowa or Ohio State. So uh, I, I think Nebraska have a really hard time beating Iowa. Iowa's men's and women's team are very similar. They're hard to beat uh, if they're hitting shots, and Iowa has one very specific player in Caitlin Clark who, unless you're willing to rough her up, I mean, rough her up and foul her and kind of push her and shove her and do all those other things. She's going to score 35 points. Whether she, she has the ball or not, like grab her when she's running oh yeah. around screens. Like you, you have, to, her, you have to be willing to rough her up. And I don't mean like uh, in a football game here. I mean, you have to be very physical with her and you have to accept that you're going to be called for fouls. Um, she'll just dribble around and do whatever she wants. And then she'll taunt everybody and, so you have to make a conscious choice, and Nebraska's just not that team. Nebraska's not the team that's going to that's gonna flop and fake, fake a flop. They're not going to do that. That's just not who they are. So, you know, there's a lot of different things in that, in, that, in that mix. I think they'll win tonight. 
I think they might beat Michigan, and then I think they'll probably be eliminated. But if they win the Big Ten tournament, they're going to host an NCAA tournament, and that would be a zoo. That would be a zoo if they were able to do that. Like, it would be, you know, 15,000 people in that arena, and it would be just like it was on No Sit Sunday. Mm. That's how many people would show up. It would be really special to watch. That would be cool. If it happened. I don't think it will, but if. Hmm. If. Baseball? Baseball? Uh, you went to Dallas, Arlington, I over did. the weekend. Uh, you went and watched them lose three times at TCU. <laughs> ate a little good barbecue, I hope. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, this is a team. You wrote some really good stories from there that will be interesting to look back on if they turn this thing around. But this is a team that, based on what you wrote, was ticked off by Sunday afternoon. Ticked off at the umps, ticked off at themselves. And they should have been. And, yes, they were they – were they were in both the the Friday and Saturday games. I would say for much of of the way. I mean, TCU's just good. I mean, they're a national seed every year. Right. They're a College World Series contender. The Sunday game. So it, how it ended? If you guys didn't didn't see, they left the bases loaded. They had a dribbler to third base. Uh, Griffin Everett beats it out. He I did. mean, objectively, he, he yeah. beats it out by a half step, and that occurred at, at first. And Nebraska's dugout was on the first base side, and so. Obviously, they saw how that thing ended. And what I didn't see in the moment but have heard was that it might have actually tied the game because the runner would have scored from third, but the runner at second was actually coming around and in the confusion or the moment was actually breaking for home. And so it actually may have cost them a chance at a tie game in that moment, let alone whatever Max Anderson would have done after that. So, yeah, they were they were pissed. And uh, that was evident in the moment. That was evident when I was – down by the dugout five minutes later talking to that group um they you know i I think it's it's sometimes it's hard to play with that edge they had that edge last year they were the don't care team last year that was pissed about playing a league only schedule and all that and that worked for them and i think it's hard to have that edge when everyone says how good you are all the time and you're the big 10 favorite and you're you're going to host a regional and you're going to do all this. And and I think they sort of acknowledged that on Sunday was that we got to, we got to play angry. That's what Bryce Matthews said. A couple of the other players sort of intimated the same sort of deal. And it'll, what I'll be fascinated to see is how that carries over to this weekend, because they're playing two, I would say average to below average teams in Northwestern state and UT Arlington. These are teams Nebraska should win at least three these are teams that will give up things in terms of errors and hittable pitches and all that stuff that maybe TCU and maybe Sam Houston didn't. So, like, this is the weekend Nebraska needs to just be Nebraska and not make a lot of mistakes and out-talent the other side. And if they do that, then you can carry the conversation into Long Beach State next week. That that gets more interesting. If you go 2-2, two and two, it's tougher to say that this team can can come out of that down the road. Not to say that they can't. But this is the first weekend, I think, where the the opposition is such that it's pretty clear Nebraska needs to take care of the business there. So we'll see. The defense has been better. The the, the hitting, I think, is getting there. The hitting part, the, the the starting pitching portion, to me, is what's most interesting. They're shaking that thing up this week. I think that's to their credit, uh, and, and we'll see how effective that is. Why are they shaking that up, and why do they do that? Well, they're shaking up their starting pitching because it honestly has not been very good. Nobody's gone more than four and a third innings. Uh, and when you don't go that far, usually that means you're behind. Your offense is, is playing from behind, and your bullpen's asked to fill a 
a bunch of innings. And so that's put them at a disadvantage for, for a lot of this thing. And so they're bringing in Cody Frank, who was a guy who has been long relief the first couple weekends. They're, he was in contention to be a starter. Now he's going to get that opportunity. Kyle Perry, who's probably been their best rotation guy so far, who's been there, gets that second chance. And then after that, it's it's sort of an all-hands-on-deck thing after that. I always find it funny when, when players say, we just need to play angry. Like, that, that's the... That's the remedy. How much, like, how much can I don't know, swinging harder or looking at the catcher's glove a little bit meaner? How much can that actually make a difference? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's more playing with an edge, right? Like if, like, you know, kind of the underdog thing. Like, you know, you're out to prove something as opposed to you're out to protect something. I think there's a difference in mentality there. Like, I'm out to protect the fact that I'm the the Big Ten co-favorite. As opposed to like, I'm pissed that I'm not the Big Ten favorite, and this is I'm gonna, I'm really motivated to show you why. I don't know. I think in baseball that can show up in just being concentrated a little more. I think it can show up in in wanting to take that extra base. Um, it can show up in not sort of just letting the opposing pitcher have their way with you, like you just refuse to to let that happen. It's 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 such a fine line because you also don't want to press, and I think that's where Nebraska's gotten a lot and. and well, both said that, and some of the players have said that. When you start focusing, especially in baseball, on the result as opposed to the process, that's when you're in trouble. You probably see it in basketball too, right? Sure. Like you, you know, you're so worried about making the three that you don't, you know, the mechanics go out the window, or maybe the play leading up to the shot gets muddled. Stuff. You like have more that. time to think in baseball too, so that stuff I think that plays more into it. You prognosticated this team as third in the Big Ten, so you sort of foresaw some of these growing pains. Where are they on your scale where they thought to be, where you thought they would be? Uh, close. I would say a little bit below what I would have thought. The, the defense struggling in the first week was weird. They got better with that last weekend. I would anticipate that's what it will be, a lot more solid um, defense because that's just something that you can control and that they pride themselves on. The offense, I mean, it's college baseball. It comes and goes. It depends on who you're who you're hitting against. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into that. The starting pitching, to me, this weekend will be really interesting. If Cody Frank can take the job and run with it, which I think he could, then you feel a little bit better about that moving forward. But if Nebraska continues to struggle with even getting to four innings with its rotation, especially against opponents like this weekend, then I think you, you really have to, I think, start start seeing Nebraska at a disadvantage to some of its Big Ten peers just in terms of starting pitching. Yeah, some of these bigger conversations kind of we just can stop having those if you if your starters can't get to a certain point, right? Like that's that's that is half of the game, really. And if you can't if you can't hold other t- offenses down, what are we doing here? I guess the last point I'll make is there are a couple more non conference weekends for Nebraska and it's interesting because of the slow start, if it continues this way, it sort of sets up the way that last year did where mm-hmm. Nebraska played league only and that was really where you have to prove your point, where you have to make your bones and to build your postseason resume because they haven't done that to this point. They'll have a couple more weekends, a couple more chances. I think Long Beach especially represents a good opportunity to to you know show the, the improvement that you've made over the course of a month. But if you don't, that puts all the more pressure on the Big Ten season, which, of course, we just saw play out for Nebraska last Send year. Send the people off with a Texas barbecue wreck. <laughs> I wanted to go to Hurtado. Uh, but it was it was huge lines every time I was down there. Um, I had a southern stop, made a, a southern chicken stop at a place called Babes, 
and it was like a family style meal where you get like the chicken and the mashed potatoes and the grits and all this stuff in family style bowls. Um, that was pretty great. And it was like 14 bucks. So it was really affordable too. All right. That's your pick six podcast this week for Sam McEwen, Evan Bland. I'm Jimmy Watkins. We'll have big 10 basketball tournament next week. We'll have more spring football, we'll have more baseball. Thanks guys. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.